Today's responsive reading that we just did is an adaptation from Mencius, one of the great thinkers of the Confucian tradition. So these people in it, Shun, as in the story this morning, was a peasant boy cast out by his parents who would then become emperor. Fu Yue was a laborer who built the scaffolding for city walls, who would later become a great advisor. Zhao Ge was a dock worker who would become a respected official, and Guan Zhou was a person who was formerly imprisoned, who would become one of the greatest counselors of his time. Um, what's powerful about these stories is not that they're superhumans or gods or immortals, it's that they're humans who arose from adversity, strengthened and tested by that adversity to help move the world to a better place. And it's not something just reserved for superhumans or gods or immortals, it's a human thing, something that every one of us human beings can do. So today I wanted to talk about one of those human beings who we know as Confucius, and who today I'm calling Confucius the Revolutionary. So this story that I'm calling Confucius the Revolutionary takes place a long time ago, about 500 years before Christ, around the same time as Gautama Buddha, and right before Socrates. And the moment this story starts is actually going to be right in the middle of Confucius's career. So at this time, he's already pretty mature. He's coming upon the height of his public service stint. Uh, he's 40, uh, in his 40s, going on 50. And he's been the minister of crime for a while. So he's like the police chief. And he's proud of where he's at. So it's, it's taken his whole 20s and 30s and 40s to get to this point, but he's worked hard, he's kept his head low, he's done a solid job, and the people like him. He's fair, he listens to people, and he's pretty widely trusted and credible uh, for having a level head in a pretty crazy time. And by crazy time, I mean a horrible time. So China at this point is falling apart. Uh, and it's completely disunified. So imagine if in the US all 50 states declared independence and they started competing with each other and suddenly California declares war on Nevada and Oregon begins picking on Idaho and then uh, New Mexico joins in and you know sends troops over the border to attack uh, Texas. So it's a mess basically. And the state where Confucius happens to be, in the state of Lu, it's called Lu, is particularly bad and gets under Confucius's skin a lot. So it's run by three hereditary families called the Three Families, uh, who have taken control of the state. So not only are these three families in Lu putting, making the state fight meaningless wars with neighboring states, the three hereditary families are bickering among themselves as well. So they're engaged in all sorts of political infighting and backstabbing and drama, and this doesn't happen only on the tabloid stands and in the newspaper columns. 
It's happening with private armies that these people have risen and each family controls. So it's kind of chaotic. And so in order to fund all of that, all of that fighting, of course, the state has to, or the three families decided to impose uh, taxes and corvée labor on their people. So the people of Lu are uh, taxed and conscripted into armies, and all their food is taken away from them. So if you're an ordinary person at this time, you're either being forcefully conscripted into military service to get sent into pointless wars and family feuds, or you're left starving on the farm where the state takes away half of your harvest if there's any harvest left after these armies pillage and plunder and walk through your fields before you can harvest them. So Confucius is kind of chugging along in this world, trying to do his part in this kind of messed up system. And of course, he's not happy. He's not happy about this. The world is falling apart around him. And all he can do is his bureaucratic job as police chief with these minor changes case by case. And so he starts wondering and he starts thinking, there must be something more that he can do. So when word comes around that there's a revolution being planned, Confucius is all ears. So he's, remember, he's a government worker. So he has to be pretty careful. And he kind of plays it cool for the time being. He keeps a kind of a, an arm's length away from this plot of a revolution. But then at one moment, he's contacted by one of the plotters, who's actually a fellow government worker named Gongshan. And the idea of revolution completely takes over Confucius. He wants to join. He is dying to join. And we know this because he confides to one of his friends about joining Gongshan in this revolution. He says, I could build a paradise in the East, he says. He dreams of a return to an era of peace and prosperity called the Great Together, where harmony is achieved through sustained economic justice, where employment is 100% where everyone, including people who are old, young, widowed, orphaned, childless, differently abled, where all of those were taken care of. So, enthralled by the idea of revolution, he participates. He's in. He's in it to win it. And so through various, but he, it, it's, kind of, it's kind of a different kind of revolution. So what he does, and what his group of government worker comrades do is they're inside the government and they kind of have the trusted ear of the three families because they're kind of running the bureaucracy. So what they do is they um, create kind of a plot uh, where, the, where these government workers nudge the three families to the brink of self-destruction. So the idea is that they would make these three families get rid of themselves. So somehow, through the trusted ear, 
of these government workers. These three families decide that it's in their own best interest to destroy their own fortifications and their own private cities. So, so they like get rid of the walls and get rid of the moats and they get rid of their um, various uh, armaments. So then they do that from the inside and then the time for revolution comes. And his fellow revolutionary Gong Shan leads a surprise attack on, uh, with rebel forces on the three families who are holed up now in the capital city. And so caught by surprise, they flee to a terrace and they're surrounded by Gongshan's forces and they're caught on this terrace and they don't know where to go and their arrows flying, almost hitting them and killing them. And the rebel forces are on the verge of victory. But then all of a sudden, two police forces arrive and drive out the rebels, and they save these three families from destruction. So this moment where the revolution was so close failed. And the weird, interesting, strange part of this story is that the police forces were authorized by, guess who? The minister of crime, the police chief, Confucius. Confucius, the counter-revolutionary. So it's hard to know exactly what Confucius was thinking at that time. Did he have a change of heart? Did he suddenly lose his courage and give way to cowardice? Did he realize that there was no way for this to succeed anyway in the long run and just decide to give in to the powers that be? Or did he realize that the whole state was slipping into chaos because of the revolution that they were bringing on? Or that Gongshan and his comrades were going to take the throne themselves and they had no intention, as Confucius did, of establishing a better society, a paradise on earth that it would be maybe the same story all over again. We don't know. It's hard to know what Confucius was thinking at this point. And it's, it's a strange turn of events, but whatever it was, the revolution has failed. The re revolution has failed, and Confucius, with his dream, of establishing a paradise in the East is dashed. And to top it all off, because of what he did, he's made enemies on all sides, everywhere. The three families know that he was part of plotting a revolution to have those three families self-destruct. And his revolutionary friends can never forgive him for whatever change of heart or mind that he had at that last minute. So at this point, Confucius has nowhere to go but away. So he leaves. He packs his bags and he leaves his home, his state, the only place that he has ever known.
what happens when a revolution fails? As Unitarian Universalists, we celebrate all the time the revolutions that succeed. The abolition of slavery, the Civil Rights Act, marriage equality, the list goes on and on because we have been on the right side of so many important revolutions. And at the same time, not every revolution succeeds. Not every revolution turns out that the way we want it to. It doesn't turn necessarily into the kind of step closer to heaven that we envision, closer to the way of justice and compassion that we intended. Ask some of the people in the revolutions of Latin America or Asia or even the Middle East about some of those revolutions. Ask my grandparents who lived through the hope of liberation and the reality of their ultimate revolution in China. Because re revolution is complex and the ideal is simple, but the humans who carry it out are not. We're complex. And so when we fall short of our ideals, because of our mistakes, our wishy-washiness, our uncertainness, our perplexity, our confusion, our fallibility, our humanness, what happens then? What happens when a revolution fails? So at this point, Confucius has messed up, but he isn't the first. He's thinking, do I follow in the footsteps of the people I know messed up before me? There was a great counselor who was maybe 50 years my senior who wandered into the wilderness and starved to death. Do I do that? Confucius knows also that there are hermits in the mountains and in the forests who have decided to leave society and live alone to follow their Tao, their own way. These are people like the famous Lao Tzu and other immortals who, like him, have been stung by the failures of humankind and are sick of the way that human beings treat each other. And so maybe that's the way to go, away leave, wander, become a hermit. Confucius, at this point, is wandering to himself and his small band of tagalongs have decided to leave with him. Is this what is left? Is this what happens next? Is this uh, what happens when a revolution fails, that I throw up my hands and I bury my head and I escape to live in the forest and the rivers and the trees? What, what happens when a revolution fails? Well, at this point, Confucius has no choice but to wander. He travels through the various states, zigzags back and forth, worries about getting a job, and scrounges around for consulting contracts. He kind of dabbles in things, he picks up a few instruments, um, and he does a lot of hanging out with friends. And then one day he's wandering and wandering, and 
he gets a little bit lost. There's a river, and he's trying to find the way to ford the river. And he comes across a couple of hermits. And one of them asks him, look, Confucius, why don't you just give up? Just become a hermit like us. Why do you keep trying, keep holding on to this idea of a better human society? The world is just messed up. Just give it up. Give it up. Confucius hears it, hears what this hermit is saying, and he's silent for a long, long time. He's silent because the question rings so true to his experience. The world has failed him. The world is hard to fix. And yet, and yet he realizes against all the evidence that there's still something inside of him insisting that it's not the end of the story. And he tries to put into words to this hermit. He says, see, we can't flock with the birds and the beasts, can we? Who can I be with if not for other human beings? The world has a moral way. I know it. So I'm going to keep going. At the very moment that someone is telling Confucius to give up, Confucius reaches inside of himself and finds his way back to the revolution that he never finished. After this point, Confucius realizes that the revolution continues. Who can I be with if not with other human beings? The world has a moral way. The arc of the universe does bend towards justice. And I have no choice but to keep on going to find it. And so, so he does. He tries. The revolution might not look like the armed insurrection that he had envisioned with Gongshan. The revolution might not look like establishing a paradise in the East within his lifetime or even within a few generations. But for Confucius, at his age, the revolution could look like the conversations that he had with his followers, envisioning a better way. The revolution could look like the teaching that he did, nonstop, tirelessly, to show people younger than himself the right path, the vision forward, the reaching to a better society. The revolution could look like the relentless pestering of the elites that he found himself in company with in each of the states, where at least corrupt and oftentimes not as smart as they might be, they would get to hear something beyond the stories that they were so used to telling themselves.
Confucius died before any of these radical changes or revolutions happened in his lifetime. But he left behind hundreds of students, a community of learners who had heard his teaching and envisioned his paradise, his heaven on earth. And even if those students were not the ones in power at the time, or were not able to overthrow their governments, they taught their students, who taught their students, who taught theirs, and so on, forming generation after generation of courageous truth-tellers who were relentless in their criticisms of their rulers and their states and in the advocacy for the poor and the distressed and the marginalized. Decades after his failed revolution in the state of Lu, Confucius's revolution was still very much alive. We all find our own way back to the revolution. Sometimes it takes time. Sometimes it takes space. Friends, heaven will test our resolution, as Mencius said. Exhaust our frames, starve our bodies, frustrate our every effort. But in so doing, will move our hearts to a higher place, toughen our natures to embody resilience and strength, and make good the faults that we all have as human beings. We make mistakes, and then we fix them. We fail. We fall down. We join hands. We laugh. We teach our re. We come to worship. We cook. We clean. We pray. We find a job. We learn. We welcome. We make new friends. We hear new stories. We build the paradise that we want to see. One revolution may fail. But the revolution of our hearts, the revolution of our hands, of our minds, of our spirits, they'll outlast any single failure in any single moment of time. Because, friends, this revolution lives on. Amen, Ashe, and blessed be.